It is Thanksgiving, folks, and I am so thankful for Anton Watson and his dominant career-defining performance against UCLA in the Maui Invitational on Wednesday evening. Let's talk about it right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Well, today is a brief Thanksgiving episode. We're going to go right through this thing. No ads here as we celebrate the holiday, but we got to celebrate something else to Gonzaga with a 69-65 victory over Mick Cronin and the UCLA Bruins on Wednesday night. I know not all of you managed to stay up for the entirety of this game, as it always is between Gonzaga and UCLA. This one came down right to the end of the game, despite Gonzaga having an 8-12 to 12 point lead throughout most of the contest. It ended up getting really close at the end. We needed some fantastic rebounding efforts from Ben Gregg at the very end of the game to help seal the deal here and send the Bruins packing for the fourth straight time Gonzaga 4-0 in the last four years over UCLA this Epic West Coast rivalry continues to produce really excellent basketball games, but fortunately for those of us out in the Spokane area, it continues to result in wins for the Bulldogs. Zags are now 7-2 and all-time versus the Bruins and finished in fifth place in the Maui Invitational, which would normally be disappointing, and certainly you would have liked to see Gonzaga secure that victory over Purdue in Game 1, but Gonzaga ends up coming out of this thing with a 2-1 and one record, their only loss being to the almost Certainly unanimous number one team in the country, the Purdue Boilermakers, when the polls come out on Monday. Uh, they have a, a win over a good Syracuse team, not a great Syracuse team, but a 19-point victory over a solid ACC program. And then, of course, this victory over a UCLA team that, had they won, probably would have snuck into the top 25 here. So uh, nice to see Gonzaga secure all of that. But let's not bury the lead here. Anton Watson, absolutely unbelievably incredible performance from Anton, the fifth-year senior, a player many of you know that I have championed for a very long time on not only the Locked On Zags podcast, but Anton's been around long enough that it was he was a player when I was a still posting podcasts on the Score Zag Score podcast before I even started at Locked On. I think my eighth ever episode of the Score Zag Score podcast talked about Anton Watson as a potential future star for Gonzaga and potential NBA player. Not as sold on the NBA player right now just because uh, of the his age and the outside shooting just hasn't looked as consistent throughout his career. But boy, howdy, did it look pretty good against those Bruins on Wednesday evening. Watson finished, for those of you who didn't see this game, 32 points blowing out his previous career high of 23, which he had against Portland three years ago. 32 points on, get this, folks, 14 of 15 shooting. Anton missed one shot in this game. We'll get to the free throws later. Didn't do quite as well there, but one total shot in this game from the field, 14 of 15 shooting, including three of three from beyond the arc. Every time he pulled up a three, it was nothing but net. Absolutely dominant performance from Anton Watson, and Gonzaga needed every bit of it. They needed every bit of it. They needed all 32 points, all seven rebounds, all two assists, both steals as well. And in fact, for about, a, I think it was an 11-minute stretch in the second half, if not more, Anton Watson was the only Gonzaga player who scored, which was part of the problem. 
there was we'll, we'll talk about some of the bad stuff that happened in this game momentarily but Anton ended up having a dominant performance in this one again all of Gonzaga's points for a huge stretch of time fantastic performance from him made a really nice pass towards the end of the game to Nolan Hickman for a lay-in that helped seal the deal as well just to Hard to, hard to say enough about Anton Watson. There has been some criticism of him earlier this year. Uh, for those of you who are in my Discord channel, you're chuckling right now because you know that there was a lot of negative comments about Anton Watson, uh, in particular after the first half of the Purdue game, although it's worth acknowledging that since then, Anton shot 80% in the second half of the Purdue game from the field. He had 12 points and 13 rebounds on 60% shooting against Syracuse. And then he had 32 points on 90-plus percent shooting from the field against UCLA. So if you're still harboring angst or frustration towards Anton Watson for having a bad first half against the obvious number one team in the country. I'm not really sure what to tell you. Anton is very clearly one of, if not the very most valuable player on this Gonzaga basketball roster. He's not going to lead them in scoring every night. He probably shouldn't lead them in scoring every night. If we're being honest, Graham EK and potentially Ryan Nemhard, potentially Nolan Hickman even should be in that conversation as a leading scorer. That's kind of what makes this Gonzaga, this iteration of the Gonzaga roster more interesting, more unique is the fact that they don't necessarily have a go-to leading score night in and night out. Uh, it could also be problematic for them later in the year when they need somebody to go to and get a bucket. Boy, did Watson look like that guy today. Fantastic stuff from him. A couple other good things we saw in this game. Nolan Hickman was knocking down shots. He had 11 points uh, in this contest, uh, two or four from deep. He also had a pair of assists. I did have three turnovers, lost the ball a couple of times dribbling. I know there was some frustration about that. To me, I saw those plays where uh, either Hickman or Nembhard were dribbling a little too much and ended up losing the basketball. I think as much as people want to blame the point guards for that, to me, it looked like the offense stalled out. Nobody was moving. Nolan Hickman and Andrew Nembhard, or and Ryan Nembhard, excuse me, are not going to just pick up the basketball and stop dribbling if they don't have a place to, to to pass the ball or to shoot the ball. So them continuing to dribble while they're waiting for teammates to move and get open and set screens and do stuff. Uh, yeah, it's frustrating when they get picked when they're doing that, but I, I would caution blaming them for that because I think if you watch Mark Few, he doesn't scream at Hickman when that happens. He screams at the rest of the team and says, hey, you guys need to move. You need to do something. Don't force him to sit there and dribble the basketball. Uh, again, nice performance from Hickman overall. We've continued to see him develop and grow as an outside shooter, as a more confident uh, scorer, more confident out in the transition as well. And then got to give a shout out to Ben Gregg. We already kind of mentioned it briefly, but Ben Gregg sealing the, the deal in this game with a couple really nice, ferocious rebounds at the end of the game when UCLA needed buckets. They missed those shots. They were desperate to get those offensive rebounds. And Ben Gregg climbed in the mix in there and pulled it down and used his strength and muscle to, to bring the ball down, knock down some free throws as well. Really nice stuff from Ben Gregg in a game where all of the bigs were in foul trouble. And let's talk about that. Let's talk about that now because, wow, this was a uniquely officiated game. I don't think – I think you can say that it was, a, it was a poorly officiated game. I think that's reasonable to say. But typically, I reserve poorly or bad or, you know, whatever, like any negative connotation toward officials when it was one-sided. This wasn't really one-sided. It was just a decision was made to call a bunch of fouls. And look, this game was physical. It was. It was a really physical game between two very tired teams playing the third day of a back-to-back -back really late in the evening. That is a situation that is likely going to lead to more fouls. So I'm not shocked that there were more fouls, but I'm a little shocked at how many there were because, wow, 
17 of 29 for Gonzaga from the free throw line. 29 free throw attempts is great for Gonzaga. You want to see them getting to the line. Knocking them down at under 59% is not great. In fact, it is quite bad. Uh, I will point out that this is an issue almost predominantly in the front court. Uh, Ryan Nemhard, Dusty Stromer, and Nolan Hickman combined to not only play all 120 minutes in this game, which is also an issue for Gonzaga from a depth perspective, they went 9 of 10 from the free throw line. The rest of the team went 8 of 19. That's 42%. That includes a 1 of 4 performance from Anton Watson. We're beefing him up. We're hyping him up. Fantastic performance from him. Still missed free three free throws, something that he's continued to struggle with throughout his career. Other stuff that wasn't great in this game, Graham E.K. just didn't do very much foul trouble. Everybody was in foul trouble. Every, every, player, who, every player who played for Gonzaga had at least two fouls, every single one of them. It was a massacre of fouls. Mick Cronin, I thought he was going to have a full-on coronary heart attack on the sideline of this game, screaming at the officials all game long. Graham E.K. didn't do much because of that foul trouble. He only had three points on 0 of 6 shooting. All his points came at the free throw line. Uh, he played 18 minutes. He did held, hold his own against a Dembona, who I think is a potential Pac-12 player of the year candidate. Anton Watson also dunked on him twice because we're not going <laughs> to we're not gonna not acknowledge some more great things that Anton Watson did in this game. Uh, Ryan Emhart also had a bit of a tough night. Five turnovers from him. Uh, I think fatigue was just setting in. I think you saw fatigue for a lot of Gonzaga's backcourt players in particular in this one. I'm not going to be overly critical of how Nemhart and Hickman, you know, handled the basketball in a game against a really good defensive guard rotation on the third day of a back-to-back on a team that doesn't have a ton of depth. Folks, I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen or your first watch of the day. I also want to remind you that Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Go to Locked On Sports today on YouTube. It's here for you 24-7 covering the top sports stories of the day with local experts of Locked On plus our national shows covering every single league. You can find Locked On College Basketball on there every single day. The other show that I host, Locked On Zags, will be there periodically as well. So go to Locked On Sports today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national 24 7 sports streaming channel all right folks want to close out the show today talking about the five keys we had for this ucla game how gonzaga executed said keys and then we're going to end the thing talking about some things we're thankful for because it's thanksgiving after all and the zags are coming into thanksgiving off of a victory against a west coast rival hard to not feel pretty darn happy about that couple things that we had as keys for Gonzaga, push the tempo and play at Gonzaga's pace. Gonzaga wasn't really able to do this. And part of that was because of the officiating. The refs slowed the game down to an absolute crawl. It was really impossible for either team to build any momentum. Uh, Bill Walton was crying about it on the, on the broadcast all game long. I agreed with him for the entire 40 minutes. Let the boys play. Too much fouling, too much officiating, too many whistles. Really slowed the game to a crawl. Beyond that, though, UCLA, UCLA did a really good job of getting back in transition. The amount of times, for those of you who watch this game or who are going to rewatch it and are listening to this first, watch how many times Ryan Nempard gets a pass or gets a, a rebound or whatever it may be. And look, you can see full head of steam. You can see him pushing the pace. And after about four or five dribbles, he stops because as the camera pans out, you see that there's three, four, five UCLA players already back. These dudes were intent on not letting Gonzaga get out in transition. This was a game plan that Gonzaga wanted to execute to get out and play their pace. UCLA wanted to stop them from doing it. And while Gonzaga secured the victory, UCLA won that battle. They prevented Gonzaga from getting out in transition. It is something I would be mildly concerned about going forward. 
Gonzaga needs to find ways to score in transition. It is a big part of their offense. It is a big part of the personnel that they have. In previous years, what Gonzaga would do when they force teams to constantly get back because they're going to push the pace, in the second half, they bury them because those teams don't have the depth or the athleticism to keep up. This Gonzaga team doesn't have a ton of depth. Ryan Nemhard continues to play 40 minutes. Nolan Hickman, Dusty Stromer, both played 40 minutes in this game on the third day of a back-to-back-to-back. You don't get to out-athlete people in the second half of a game if you're at that level of fatigue. Gonzaga's not going to play three games in a row at any point for the rest of the season, so I don't think it's going to be a big problem, but it is something to keep an eye on because this is how Gonzaga's beat teams in the NCAA tournament. I go back to that Memphis game a few years ago. They won in part because Drew Timmy went absolutely nuts in the second half of that game, but the other reason they won is because Andrew Nemhard constantly pushed the pace and forced Memphis to just have to make some subs because their guys were gassed. I want to make sure this Gonzaga team has the ability to do that and they have the right personnel. They just don't have the depth. So we'll have to see how that shakes out. Another key in this game was to draw fouls and get to the free throw line. Mission accomplished without a doubt in this one. The refs called a whole bunch of fouls. Getting Adembona in foul trouble was a huge critical piece for Gonzaga to secure a victory. Kenneth Nwuba came off the bench. He ended up with five fouls and I think only three points for this UCLA team. And Mara didn't end up seeing a ton of playing time in part because of fouls, in part because he's just really raw. Uh, but Adembona committed some dumb fouls. He committed some frustration fouls. I cannot believe he picked up his fourth foul on a very obvious lowering the shoulder drive right into Anton Watson. He did it a play after Watson dunked on him. I think he was frustrated. I think there was a little bit of immaturity there and it cost him dearly because he had to come out of the game and Gonzaga managed to withstand their lead because UCLA's best player was on the floor after committing a dumb fourth foul. So Gonzaga executed this portion of their game plan. They also had an officiating crew with really, really whistle happy. It went both ways. Gonzaga's entire front court was in foul trouble as well. UCLA made a lot of points from the free throw line. In fact, of their 65 points, 23 of them came at the free throw line. That's about half. Really, really, really intensely officiated game. Uh, I think it ultimately, it didn't benefit Gonzaga in terms of total points because they didn't score as much at the free throw line, but getting some of those bigs in foul trouble was a big piece for Gonzaga securing this victory. The next key was pounding the ball to Graham E.K. This didn't really happen. They attempted to establish E.K. very early in the game. They got on the first few touches of the game. He had a really nice pass to Anton Watson at one point. He drew some, some contact, got to the free throw line early again. Getting early fouls on Bona was a big part of this game. But E.K. himself also picked up a lot of fouls. Only played 18 minutes in this one. I'm not concerned about Graham E.K. having a, a bust of a game against UCLA offensively because I thought he looked really good defensively, and we know why he didn't play very much because of the foul trouble. The fact that Gonzaga has the depth to play Ben Gregg, to play Braden Huff. They played Jun Suk Yo significant minutes in the first half as well, and he actually looked very good. A, a really nice performance from Yo. I want to make sure he gets a shout-out here as well. And, and the fact that Gonzaga can withstand a – pretty much non-factor game from Graham E.K. and still beat a team like UCLA says a lot of good things about this team. Key number four was to avoid a second half lull. Haven't haven't been able to do that yet. And again, third game, back to back to back. I, I don't want to keep using it as an excuse, but it is not going to continue to happen. 
So it's not something that really is going to to continue to present a problem for Gonzaga the rest of the season. Uh, again, Watson pulled them out of this this funk that they were in. He scored basically all their points for more than half of the second half. But Gonzaga has continued to have these lulls uh, during the season, and I think depth and fatigue is going to continue to be a factor, even if they don't continue to play three straight games in a row. Uh, they're going to need to get Luka Krinovich more consistently in the rotation or figure out some other way to, to give those guards a bit of a break because you're going to have second half lulls if you only have two guards playing every single minute of every basketball game. And then the final key here was to pressure the UCLA guards. We saw the press a bit. We saw Gonzaga run some half court traps, uh, even some full court press. Again, they pulled it because of the same reason I'm going to continue to keep bringing up, which is fatigue. Uh, it's hard to run a full court press, a half court trap when you guys are already tired. So you can kind of see them pull out of it and not end up doing a ton of it. Uh, I, I think that UCLA's guards didn't have the greatest game. They had some inconsistency issues. I think UCLA's guards are just a bit inconsistent. Dylan Andrews and Sebastian Mack are, are very talented players, but we didn't see uh, the full scope of what they bring. Again, fatigue probably played a factor for them as well. But again, Gonzaga's ability to pressure opposing guards and, and force them to get rid of the basketball is going to be predicated on, on feeling like they have the depth to wear some of their own players out early. And I'm not sure they feel comfortable doing that at this point. Now we're going to close out today's show just talking about some things we're thankful for. It's Thanksgiving, after all, for those of you listening on Thursday. Of course, many of you might be listening on Friday. There's not going to be a new show on Friday. I'm going to take the last day of the week off to recoup and come back next week as we get ready for Cal State Bakersfield. And, of course, the big one against the USC Trojans on Friday. That should be an absolutely fantastic contest right there. So a couple of things we're thankful for. We've got some Zags ones. we got some... Uh, a little bit more broad ones that we'll, we'll close out the show with, but I'm thankful for the consistency of this program. And I think I say this because it can get taken for granted. Gonzaga has not always been a team that automatically makes the sweet 16 folks. It hasn't always happened. And I know it's hard to remember a time when it didn't because it's been eight years, which is insane. But I think sometimes we see people talk about this program as if, a bad year is a team where they might not be in the top 15 the entire season, like this year, where there's a real chance that if they drop another game, they drop into the 20s in the rankings. That could happen. Or a year where they get a four seed. And like, I, I promise you I wasn't in college that long ago. <laughs> it may feel like it, but it was not that long ago. But when I was in college, 2009 to 2013, Gonzaga lost in the second round of the NCAA tournament every single year that I was in college. They were an 11 seed. They were, I believe, a six seed maybe, or maybe also an 11 seed. I can't remember where they were their second year. Their final year, they were a one seed. I do know that. But they, and that was the first time they were ever a one seed, first time they were ever the number one ranked team in the country. Shout out Kelly Olenek for helping lead that team into that space. They, of course, lost to Wichita State that year as a nine seed. But this is still an unprecedented thing that is happening. Mark Few's ability to have this program on a steady incline for two decades with so few dips, they have had very occasional bad seasons since 2013. The year after Kelly Olenek was a, a rough year where they got waxed by Aaron Gordon in Arizona in the NCAA tournament as, I think, an 8-9 seed. Then they had that 15-16 season where they were an 11 seed, but then, of course, they went to the Sweet 16. Hard to call that a failure of a year. And since then... 
they've been in the Sweet 16 every single year. They've been a high seed every single year. And that consistency is incredible. But I wish we wouldn't take it for granted. And it's difficult not to when you have when you reset your expectations for a program the way that Mark Few has, the way that the staff has, the way that we have fans have as well of resetting the expectation of, well, a, a failure is not making the Sweet 16. A failure is not getting to this level. And it's like, for many, many, many programs, they consider making the tournament a success. And like that doesn't mean that we should just like way lower our expectations for Gonzaga. We want to see this program do well. But I think it's worth that reminder of where this program came from and how recently they weren't at this level. A couple other things I'm thankful for. I love non tough non-conference schedules. This week made Gonzaga better. They got better this week. I know some people like would have, would have rather beat Purdue and lost two games to like Tennessee or Marquette or Kansas or whoever it would have been and played three ranked teams as opposed to, you know, in theory, you could look at this. And, and if you wanted to take a negative take on it, you could say, well, they lost to the team they were expected to lose to and they beat the teams they were expected to beat, which I don't really think is negative. That seems positive to me. Right. They did what they needed to do and treating Syracuse and UCLA like just teams they needed to beat as opposed to like good power five programs. UCLA again would have been ranked if they'd won this game. I I absolutely guarantee they lost Marquette by two. Marquette's going to be the second ranked team in the country on Monday, if not third. Maybe Arizona takes them. Marquette is the second or third best team in the country. UCLA led them by for like thirty something minutes. You know how much they led Gonzaga? Almost never. They did it, it briefly in the second half, and I think the last time they led in the first half was three to two. Gonzaga beat this team that. They basically beat Marquette until the last minute of that game. That is a big-time win for Gonzaga. This was a big-time tournament. They got better because of it. And guess what? They still got UConn. They still got uh, USC. They still got San Diego State. That's a tremendous rest of this non-conference schedule still on the docket for Gonzaga. I love seeing this. And then the third thing, I'm thankful for Feast Week. I'm thankful that college basketball takes over the world or at least the United States in a sports perspective in Thanksgiving. Yeah, there's still NFL games. Yeah, I know the Cowboys are going to play today. I know the Seahawks and the 49ers are playing today. I know NBA basketball still happens. But Feast Week, Thanksgiving Week belongs to college basketball. And this year, five top 11 teams beat in the Maui Invitational. What an absolute treat. We still got Battle for Atlantis games coming up. We got... North Carolina versus Villanova on Thanksgiving. What an incredible game that that is going to be between two programs that really need to prove it uh, after last year's kind of debacle for both these teams. I love Feast Week. I love college basketball. I love that this is what we get to do during this holiday season. I'm also thankful for Locked On. I'm thankful for the opportunity to podcast for you all on this platform. I'm thankful that this platform is now streaming 24-7 on Locked On Sports Today's uh, Fast TV channels. I'm thankful that I've gotten the opportunity to see this channel grow and succeed the way that it has. I'm thankful that I've, I mean, I've been with this company for a long time. I started in 2021 with Locked On Zags, but for those of you who do not know, I was initially the first host of the Locked On Mariners podcast back in 2017 or 2018. I believe that it was. I was only there for about two months, ended up deciding I wanted to podcast about Gonzaga. Instead, they were not ready to start Locked On Zags, so I started my own Locked On, or I started my own podcast, Score Zag Score. Many of you have been listening since those days. Huge shout out to all of you. Thank you so, so much for sticking with me for these many, many years that we have been doing this. But getting the chance to come back to Locked On, getting a chance a year later to pitch to my wonderful boss, Zach Blackerby, the host of Locked On Auburn, and said, hey, Zach, I want to start a Locked On college basketball show. And he said, okay. He said, let's bring in Isaac, the host of Locked On Tar Heels. You guys can host that thing together. In one year, 
Locked On College Basketball, it started in November of last year. And by March, it was the fifth most listened to basketball podcast in all of the country. It was a tremendous successful story for us. And I'm so thankful and happy for all of you who have listened to that show, who joined me on Locked On College Basketball, who still joined me here on Locked On Zags. I'm thankful to my co-host, Isaac. I'm thankful to Zach. I'm, I'm thankful to my other friends who are here in the Locked On Network, Roman Tomashoff, who hosts the Locked On Huskies podcast, Parker Ainsworth hosts Locked On Cougs for uh, the Houston Cougars, Jake Hatch, Locked On BYU, Drake Toll, Locked On Big 12, so many others, Spencer McLaughlin, Locked On Pac-12, so many friends, close people that I, that I talk to on a regular basis who are here with this Locked On Network as well. And I'm thankful to you, to all of you. I'm thankful to those of you who are first-time listeners, who are listening to the show for your 10th time, 100th time, 250th time, 400th time, whatever it may be. I am thankful to those of you who are everyday listeners who make this a part of your morning or afternoon routine. I'm thankful to those of you who spread the word about Locked On. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell people you know, tell people wearing Gonzaga shirts about the Locked On Zagas podcast. Thankful to all of you. I'm thankful to those of you who are on our Discord channel. We're up over 250 people on that Discord channel right now. We had so much fun yesterday talking throughout the game, talking about Mick Cronin's reactions on the sidelines, discussing Anton Watson. There'd been some negativity about Anton earlier in the week. We were having conversations about that every minute of the game we're talking throughout. It's a really, really fun thing. And I'm hopeful that many of you who have yet to join are willing to do so. It is completely free. You just click the link in the show notes below. It'll invite you into that Discord channel you accept. And you are there chatting with us throughout the entire season here about Gonzaga basketball. Happy Thanksgiving, sincerely to those of you. Happy Thursday to those of you who did not celebrate Thanksgiving. Sincerely appreciate every single one of you for making the show your first listen or your first watch of the day. We'll be back next week previewing Cal State Bakersfield, getting ready for that USC matchup as well. All sorts of fun stuff coming your way as the calendar flips into December here on the Locked on Zags podcast. That's going to do it for today, though. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, as always, go Zags. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.